Hello and welcome to the Sci-Fi FX Podcast. I am your host, Carl, and with me I have Big Dog. Hello. And Troy. Hello. And this week we are joined by author Dana Fredsty. Hello. And her dog running through the <laughs> Hey, that's show business, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. We don't mind the dogs. <laughs> that's why I'm here. Exactly. All right, big dog. So you you were the one that was able to um, had the time to read the book and do the review. Right? So why don't you um, start us off? Okie dokie. Well, I have to say I am not as big a zombie fan as you are, but I did quite enjoy this. This was not what I was expecting it to be. Excellent. What what? If I can ask, what were you expecting? You know, when it comes to this sort of thing, I was expecting basically Twilight with zombies, and oh, this was not God. Twilight with zombies. <laughs> <laughs> just hurt me deeply. Oh, the wound, the wound. <laughs> I know. I, I'm trying to be as totally honest as I can with this, okay. but I think you can take it. I, I can. I absolutely can. And you will notice no zombie sparkles in that book. You know, I noticed that some okay. of them glistened with a little bit of fire, but you know, no sparkling. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of viscera glistening going on there too. Yeah, but, but you know. Yeah. That's one thing I wanted to talk to you about was some of the visceral imagery that was in this book. Okay. Because one of the scenes that I have completely burned into my mind is in the trailer park. Mm-hmm. And she goes into that first trailer and she's dealing with basically Ma and Pa zombie. <laughs> and Ma is missing one appendage. Ah, uh, the zombie of Walmart. Yes, yes. She's missing yes. one of the hooters. Yes. <laughs> And when she finds oh. out exactly what happened there, yeah. I had to say, I dropped the book and started squirming all over. That was so <laughs> creepy. Awesome. Thank you. And, and, and just to put this in perspective, Big Dog is our horror aficionado. So. Yeah. I'm honored. I, I feel very good about my book now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not often when you look at that because there's some very hard choices in this sort of thing because I never see it from the zombie hunter perspective of, I don't know if I can do this because it looks more human than it should. Right. <laughs> so yeah. uh, before we get into more of the praising part, uh, tell us a little bit about Plague Nation. Well, Plague Nation uh, is the sequel to Plague Town, which kind of makes sense when you go from Plague Town to Plague Nation. And it basically continues the adventures of Ashley Parker, we met in Plague Town. She is a wild card, and I just want to say that's a small W, small C, to avoid any uh, problems with uh, George R.R. R. Martin later on, because I, I had not read his wild card books when I came up with that term for my uh, um, my characters who are immune to the zombie virus, and uh, my editor actually made me, me change that from capital wild card to to the small case and yes i am rambling but you said i could so i'm just taking you at your word here <laughs> um, means yes and at any rate plague town it deals with a zombie outbreak in the community of redwood grove it's a college town and the town is put under quarantine and the character of ashley is bitten during a zombie attack and discovers that she is immune to the virus and she's also basically kind of enhanced not like you know mutant x-men enhancement but her senses are enhanced, her speed, her agility. She's just slightly better than she was before. And as a wild card, she's ideally equipped to fight uh, the zombie outbreak. So the first book is about trying to contain the outbreak in Redwood Grove. Unfortunately, on the back of that book, you have the 
the ad for Plague Nation, um, you, you have the whole thing, will Ashley and her wildcards be able to contain the zombie outbreak in Redwood Grove? Coming soon, Plague Nation! Well, that kind of <laughs> gives the answer to that question away. They, they, they do contain it, actually, but what they don't know is that in the meantime, the virus has actually escaped into the rest of the United States. And since the third book is Plague World, I'll just leave you to extrapolate what happens after the end of Plague Nation. Um, but Plague Nation deals with, uh, you find out more about uh, the machinations going on behind the outbreak. The wild cards lose some of their members. Uh, they have to leave Redwood Grove and do some traveling. I merrily trash San Francisco. And what else would you like to know about it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is well, starting to sound like a good start. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good start to this. Uh, let's see, what was my next question? Would that be, is Play Universe on the way? Um, we actually call it Play Galaxy. Um, <laughs> might be, I don't know. Um, we, we discussed it. I will tell you that Plague World is going to wrap up any existing story threads that are left hanging by Plague Nation. Plague Nation is the second in what was a planned trilogy, and I really do have to fess up that it is the Empire Strikes Back in terms of, yeah, Han is kind of stuck in carbonite and shipped off at the end of the book, and there is nothing to be done about it. Sorry! But there you have it. Well, you got yeah. Harrison Ford to sign on for the third one this time, right? What was that? You got Harrison Ford to sign on for the third one, right? Dang, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Even old, he's kind of a honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of Gabriel, because I know that's kind of our Han character, as it were, or would that be Nathan? Um, I don't see either of them as Han, and I really don't even have a Princess Leia or a Darth Vader. Um, Gabriel is more, if you're going to compare him to anyone, I mean, the whole premise of the series, when I was asked to write it, was Buffy meets The Walking Dead. So Gabriel, uh, he's less so than he was when I first started plotting out the first book. He's kind of the, the uh, oh, I hate saying this, but dang it, he's kind of the angel of the story. Um, okay. You know, if, if we have to compare it to anything. And I tried really hard to take what worked with Buffy in terms of the pop culture sensibility and just the, the character interaction and that kind of... Uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. At, at, at any rate, um, the whole impetus of the book at first was basically I had an editor who said, I want Buffy, but with zombies, but different. So I tried to develop characters that were not the same, different. There's that different part there, um, but but had what worked in, in the Buffyverse. So, yeah, Gabriel is kind of the angel, except with better hair and not as <laughs> zombie. So. Well, he is an interesting one because when you you brought up the term half dead, I was looking at that going like, isn't that kind of like half pregnant? And <laughs> then you learn what exactly that means, and yeah, that brings up uh, that brings up a whole new thing because basically in this, uh, half deaders are people that basically are turning into zombies, but they have all the synapses in their head still firing. They're not dead. Yet. They're not dead yet. We're <laughs> dead. I'm quite dead. It just came out. Um, yeah, basically, they, they are not zombies yet, but with, with the half-deaders, if they don't eat uh, raw human flesh, 
they will continue to degenerate. Eventually they will die and they will come back as a zombie. Gabriel has the advantage of science behind him, so he has this uh, nifty little anti-serum that is stopping him from turning any further down the road towards, you know, half dead, three quarters dead, dead, dead. And um, as long as he's getting the anti-serum, he can maintain his condition without having to eat human flesh. Uh, the other character, like Jake, who's actually one of my favorite characters, which really says something telling about me, and I don't really <laughs> want to know what that is. Um, Jake, basically, he gave into it, and he's still human, except he's, you know, he, he has to continue to eat human flesh. So, um, and I've got other plans for the mutation of that aspect of the virus as well, so... Well, I've seen the whole zombie virus thing played out, but I think this is one of the more interesting ways because it's uh, somebody's actually capitalizing on the whole deal. Yeah. And you've got the group that's trying to stop it, but at the same time, it's like the the money aspect. I, I can't imagine how you'd make money off of a zombie <laughs> virus. It's not really about making money per se and i can't actually say what the motivations are because that would be a mega spoiler and my editor would kill me um but th there is a definite reason for what they're doing the makers of soylent green are behind it <laughs> <laughs> it's people. watch it or i'll start doing charlton heston for the rest of the interview <laughs> i don't know if that's a promise or a threat <laughs> <laughs> I say bring it. <laughs> it can be both, depending on the day. You want me to fall on my knees? God damn you! Oh, you blew it up! There you go. My jaw stuck out. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> oh, really good impression there. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> one of the other questions I had was, what do you think sets this apart from other zombie stories? of humor is a large part of it. I mean, a lot of zombie stories do not have any kind of humor behind them, and you know, most of the movies don't either. I mean, you've got Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland, which are very funny, but I think I'm kind of incapable of writing without the humor behind it, and I like to think that I have a good mix of horror and humor where the humor's not undercutting the horror, but the humor still is allowed to, you know, kind of shine through there and I think that every every book you know and no matter what genre it's dependent on the author to make it different to make it stand out whether it be because they have unique characters or a unique take on uh, take on it or because their writing is just compelling so um, I've read a lot of really good zombie books and I've read a lot of oh generic you know teenage boy with gun last survivor on earth meets last girl he gets laid then she dies but he's got his gun so he's still happy zombie stories and i think those have been played out but i still think there's a lot of, of really good ones out there that are still being written so did i answer your question or just ramble both yeah it worked out <laughs> <Awesome>. well okay <laughs> yeah well going back to the uh complimenting here um okay. one of the things that i really enjoyed there was yeah you had a lot of sense of humor going on with this i really did get the uh pop culture references that you were talking about uh, there was several made uh 
but I still enjoyed the fact that when the scene was horrific, it was completely horrific. Awesome. Um, I'm trying not to say so much because I don't, I don't want people <laughs> to actually read the book. Yeah, we don't want to ruin it for anybody. So. Yeah. <laughs> Which scene are you talking about? Which one are you thinking about? And I'll, I'll just know what you mean. One of, the horrific, one of the horrific parts uh, that I really get, and it wasn't so much the uh, zombies actually eating people. Uh-huh. It was the guy going around, you know, finding nice little women from like diners and stuff, uh-huh. doing his thing, and then watching them slowly get uh, infected. Oh, Griff. Yeah. Yeah, Griff. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I kept thinking to myself, you know, there are so many unscrupulous people that I've met over the years that I kind of wonder if they would be that guy. I'm sure that some of them would. I mean, I kind of like a few of them. Yeah, I think there would be some guys out there like that. Um, but I, I will say about that character that there's a few surprises uh, still in store with him. So. Yeah, I kind of got that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even from the first chapter where you've got people going over to check their neighbors that they don't really like and then getting eaten on the way out the door. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. This is not some faint of heart thing here. I I had to give you credit on that. Well, thank you. I I grew up on horror movies, and my first date movie was Dawn of the Dead. And I'm one of the people I know that I can happily watch any zombie movie put in front of me and eat spaghetti with red sauce and meatballs, and it really just does not bother me. I don't care. So <laughs> my my yeah. horror tolerance is high. Yeah, I like war movies and chili myself, so I can't understand. <laughs> my, my only thing, I don't like torture porn, and I don't like uh, gratuitous animal cruelty, cruelty, so that's something you'll never see in my books. Yeah, I can I can understand that. Uh, I kind of do the torture thing myself, depending on, but I can't actually watch like the Saw movie, so <laughs> really understandable. Yeah. So, guys, you got any questions for this? I've got a few. Um. Okay, speaking as, as one who has actually written zombies, what is it about the zombie that's so relevant to our culture today? I get asked that a lot. I've, I've done a lot of the interviews, and that is one of the questions. And I, for me, I just think they're creepy. I mean, I feel, and my joke is that I swim in the shallow end of the, the, the pool for this answer because I, I just think that there's something really inherently creepy about something that looks like us, that looks like our parents, our sisters, whatever, our, you know, our neighbors, and they're going to rip us to shreds and eat us alive. Being eaten alive is a very disturbing thing. I mean, you think of if people are listing the grossest, worst ways to die, getting ripped apart by a crocodile or something like that is probably, you know, being eaten by a shark is, is on the top of the list. I think a lot of other people... Um, there was a really, really great blog tour that Jonathan Mabry did, and he had a post where it was answers from all of these different authors on that subject, and a lot of it was that zombies are like the perfect blank slate for all of our fears, be it, you know, communists, Republicans, Islam, Islamic, whatever it is, uh, terrorist, zombies are just a really good blank slate place all of our fears it's kind of like back when uh, the 50s the giant bug movies were really popular because of the whole fear of, of nuclear war and mutation and stuff like that um 
I think also some of it is just that there's been a really good, perfect storm of books and movies and shows that have come out that have just done a really good job of capturing the imagination of a lot more people who weren't interested in the topic before. I mean, you had Shaun of the Dead, which for those people who I know who don't like zombies, they love that movie. It's funny. But it also, it's kind of like to zombies what Galaxy Quest is to Star Trek. It's a really good example of the genre while still making fun of it. I mean, it's, it's kind of perfect. Then you have World War Z. You had the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Um, you know, fear of, of plague. Maybe it's the whole, you know, the uh, coinciding with like the bird flu scare and all of that kind of stuff. So I, I don't really know. I mean, I could speculate for hours, but I just think they're creepy and I'm glad they're so popular. What do you guys think? I, I've always thought it was more the dehumanization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like sort of the... One uh, against the horde. The, the horde or like, like um, the same thing that made... Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? CP at the time. Yeah, well, and and I think it is, uh, there is a large chunk of it is, that is that primal fear of being eaten. Yeah, that, that's just creepy. <laughs> I think that is a large chunk of it right there. Is that you know no one I, wants to be eaten alive? That's just horrifying. Yeah, it's, it's like being burned alive or buried alive. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like you have to name your top three. Oh gosh, I really don't want to die that way. I think those would make the list. And I can't I used to, argue that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would have these really creepy nightmares when I was young about my parents. They looked like my parents, but they weren't. And it was the whole invasion of the body snatcher thing. And maybe that's one of the reasons that the whole zombie thing, yeah. you know, was so visceral for me is that, again, they look like your loved ones, but there's just nothing left inside that is really, you know, th- there's nothing left, basically. Yeah, I think that's what kills me about the whole idea, if you pardon the pun. Is the idea of actually losing my humanity to that? Okay, here's a question for you. If you were in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, would you be tempted? I mean, would you do your best to survive and hold up, or would you just be tempted to just go, oh, just bite me and get it over with and just join in so you wouldn't have to be scared anymore? You know, yeah, that's an interesting question, but until I'm actually in the middle, middle of it, I don't know that I could actually answer that one. I want to say I'd fight back, but I'm a really big guy, and so I kind of have Big Mac zombie written all over me. (laughs) You know, uh, yeah, it's, I I hate to say it, it's a a subway thing, eat flesh, and I'm going to have to run for my life. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I I would also like to think that I would fight back, because I'm usually a relatively stubborn person when it comes right down to it, so. Yeah. Yes. I, I got my sword and fire kills it indiscriminately. Yeah. And you got your coffee mug there. I'm just staring at your icon. Just <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the one thing zombies can't appreciate. It's go juice. <laughs> Darth Lumberg. <laughs> yeah. So what about you? Would you fight or would you uh, give in? As long as there was a cat in my house to protect, I would fight. <laughs> <laughs> so once the cats are gone, then we have to worry about zombie Dana? think about it i'm i'm a very stubborn person and i've got a very strong survival instinct and i have a really bad temper so i could see myself just getting so pissed off i'd do anything i could do to survive so and you know as long as i've got friends out there that that need help yeah i think i i think i'd be fighting yeah like i said there i thought there was a little bit of ashley parker in her uh, are you into ashley parker character 
there's certainly some of my voice in there. I, I think when you're writing first person, it's kind of inevitable that that's going to sneak in there. And she's a strong, snarky person who's maybe got some experiences that I've been through in my life before. But, you know, she, she, she's not me. But, yeah, I, I, I cop to the fact that there, there definitely is some Dana going on there. And at least it's nice to have a voice to actually go with the, or a sound of the voice to go with the character, because that sort of thing helps. But now you're going to read the third book and you're going to hear my voice the entire time, huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, it's kind of like with Game of Thrones, when I actually watched the TV show first and read the books, I've actually got those voices of those characters in my head for this, and it and it actually does do a little bit of help for me. Yeah, well, especially when it's well done, I think I think it, it definitely does help, so... Um... I don't know if you ever saw the Sharp series. I'm a big Sean Bean fan, so I think Game of Thrones, I immediately just think Sean Bean. That's all that's going on in my head <laughs> right here for that. But, yeah, there was a great BBC series uh, about a Napoleonic uh, a British officer during the Napoleonic Wars, the Sharp series. And the books were written by uh, Bernard Cornwall. And yes. I saw the show first, and then I read the books, and then it was it was all Sean Bean all the time. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to compete with Sean. He's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's too bad he like dies and everything he's in. That's that's half the fun. It's fine, sharp. <laughs> I know he dies in in the in the Game of Thrones because someone told me I was bummed though. It's like, damn it, I haven't seen it or read it. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, Game of Thrones is all about zombies, so he could come back. We don't know. You're not serious, are you? Are you just <laughs> You're just saying that. Poem. I'm just saying it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> hmm, okay. okay. But anything's fair game in this world. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> okay. It's very true. It's very true. So you got the third book coming out here. Uh, you're gonna least you're writing it, I'm sure. And um, my question being is that after you get done with this series, what does Dana Fritzy move on to? Dana Fritzy is not sure yet. Part of her dreams of a time where she doesn't have to write for a few months and just sort of reads incessantly and, and does nothing, but she knows that's not realistic, and I'm talking in the third person. Damn you, damn you, Jeremy. Um, I, it depends on what Titan discusses after that, because my editor and I have discussed the possibility of more books in Ashley's world I've also got some other stuff that I'm very interested in writing that has nothing to do with uh, with zombies, actually. I've got a murder mystery series that I've been putting on hold to write the second book. I've got another, uh, I guess, urban fantasy series that I'm interested in writing. And, yeah, I don't know. We will see. We'll pick the stories. Let's find out if, if we have any interest out there. <laughs> uh, ouch. Excuse me, I'm shifting here now. My foot fell asleep under me as I'm pushed here in front of my computer. Zombie um, foot. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to see what happens after that. I mean, I, if, if Titan is really interested in doing more books in the Ashley series, um, I'll, I'll probably go for that. But I've, I've got a character based on Lilith that I really want to do some stuff with. And I'm talking Lilith as in the first wife of Adam and... You know, kind of doing some updates with that, and uh, I've got some ideas. Well, that could be fun. That could be yeah. fun. Yeah. There will be humor. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, humor is always good in these books. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, you've got to have, especially in a horror book, you've got to have a certain amount of humor to balance it out. 
I think so. I mean, there's a lot of them that really don't, that are still good, but I really do prefer, you know, some, but I really like, like, have you ever read the Repairman Jack series F. Paul Wilson? I have not. They're, they're really, really good. And they're kind of action adventure slash horror. And they've also got just a, a good, you know, not, not ha 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 humor, but there's enough humor in there. Um, like, I think it really makes them stand out. So. I've currently been devouring the Jim Butcher, um, Harry Dresden. I love so. those books. Oh, I love those books. Yeah. And yeah. those are loaded with humor too. So. Yeah. I, I've got every single one of those. I can actually see them. If I went around the corner, I would see them all in my bookshelf right now. <laughs> okay. So I got to ask, I'm, I'm seeing in your bio that you are a theatrical sword fighter. And I know that you've done some work on screen. Yeah. Now, I am a sword fighter myself, not theatrical. So I gotta ask, how is the theatrical work different from the real from the the real deal with the armor and whatnot? What What do you do? Well, with the theatrical, first of all, it depends on who you train with. Um, The people that I train with are very much into the historical accuracy of each weapon that you're learning. So you're learning. You know, at the time you're learning, like, say, broadsword, smallsword, sword and shield, et cetera, et cetera, um, rapier and dagger, you're actually learning as best as they could extrapolate from all of the materials out there how people actually use those weapons. And then you translate those into, you know, moves for stage. It's like when you're doing staged fights, be it martial arts or whatever, you have to you have to consider the angles for both stage for the audience you have to consider them for the camera um and right now i'm gesticulating wildly and you can't see me (laughs) i'm doing it um but you also consider the safety factor when you're doing the theatrical combat like you have a certain distance that you keep that being said i've done a lot of sparring as well and a lot of martial arts you know so i i've I'm really good when I'm doing the theatrical stuff at keeping the safe distance, but you know, say my boyfriend's a fencer and we really enjoy going out there with rapiers and daggers and, and sparring. And it, you, you know, you're going for the touch, but because I've got the background where I, I understand that the safety and the distance, I'm really good at pulling instead of like, you know, Are you talking like about a society of creative anachronisms and the full armor and the want of the crap out of you know? I'll be honest, I haven't gone quite that route yet, but I I, I do armor up and my 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 particular one for any of the sword geeks out there, I studied the Fiore de Liberate, the Flower of Battle, Uh the thirteenth century or fourteen hundreds longsword. Oh, very cool. So, but um, yes. It's basically, it's one of those, I hit you, you hit the floor. <laughs> that kind of combat. Okay. So. You're whomping the crap out of your opponent kind of combat there going on. Basically. Well, yeah, the the idea was that you could use any weapon, but it wasn't so much the guy you were facing that was the problem. It was the four guys that were going to jump you after you won. Uh-huh. That's what you had to worry about. Ah. So I, I was kind of curious as to how that, how you, what you do for the, for the theater translates from that. Well, again, you, you're thinking of everything you're doing for the theater. It's, it's a stage piece. You want it to look real and... And still not kill someone. Don't, don't, go, go ahead. <laughs> and still not kill someone. 
Exactly. You don't want to hurt someone. I mean, when I was working uh, on one of the films I worked on, one of my partners, we had a set piece going and he he hit instead of parrying. He went for a cut instead of parrying and we were using aluminum broadswords at the time and he still smacked my arm and I thought it was broken and I had a layer of latex between the blade and my arm, but it's still because the moves were screwed up. I got hurt and I had to go to the hospital for that. And yeah. that's the kind of thing you don't want to do. Sure. Yeah. You, you have to rehearse the piece over and over and over again. And you still can get hurt. I mean, I've, I've had a finger broken. I bruised, you know, my, my knee smashed, stuff like that. It's, it's, it's different in that you try not to have these things. Yeah. It's, I think it's inevitable. Just, it, it is. Even when your partners are really, really good, stuff just happens. Um, so you, you train and train and train until it's part of your muscle memory. And it's the same thing when you're training with the actual combat moves. So if someone does a particular, you know, does a cut at your head or a thrust or whatever, your body automatically responds with the appropriate, uh, you know, parry or block. Um, and that's what you do when you're doing choreography. So I guess that would be how it translates, if that made any sense at all. That makes perfect yeah. sense. I yeah. don't know how well it'll translate to the audience, but I understood it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what matters. That's right. <laughs> how long have you been doing that kind of thing? I started doing theatrical combat when I was 18. Um, I was first interested when I saw the three and four musketeers directed by Richard Lester, which I think yes. are the best. Uh, the best musketeer movies ever and William Hobbs is my hands down favorite choreographer of all times I love the way he utilizes anything in a room you know it's not just about the sword play there's a chair you know there's a there's a chicken wing or whatever I, I just I love his fight but I really got into the concept of sword fighting when I was uh, I won't carbon date myself let's just say when I saw this movie and then <laughs> when I hit 18 I was at a renaissance fair and I was eavesdropping on a conversation, uh, two guys in front of me, and the guy was talking about how his sword fighting partner dropped out, and he was really bummed, and he was really looking forward to doing the fight, and he didn't think he could find someone else in time. And I was 18, and I stepped up and said, I'll do it. And that was pretty <laughs> much the part of it all. So. It's hard to turn back once you have the weapon in your hand. And it's just so much fun. I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's funny because I'm not the most athletic person in a lot of other areas, but when it comes to sword fighting or martial arts or anything like that, I just love it, so. It's contagious. <laughs> what styles of martial arts do you practice? I did. Um, I did Goshinkai Karate, which was uh, Okinawan style, a uh, combination of hard soft. I studied... When I was at the Academy of Theatrical Combat, the uh, Dan Speaker also did a lot of Kung Fu. Um, I took some, oh, my brain just went out. Um, the Florentine Sensei is not martial arts. My, my boyfriend is typing in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, uh, not judo. Gosh. Jiu-jitsu. Sorry, my, my, my brain is just just totally stopped mainly uh the, the goshen kai karate um and then we also we had some guys come into class that did the uh really hard korean style of karate that that came in to play with us sometimes and they were scary <laughs> <laughs> wow well carl you get anything dad no you guys asked all my questions so <laughs> well bringing that back around to to your novel here i 
you know, it's hard to miss the fact that it actually has swords on the cover. Yeah. So uh, how, how much of that is influenced by your interaction and how much of it's just she needed a sword? <laughs> Um, well, the cover is, is influenced by the fact that she uses a sword, and let's right. okay. If, if you if you ask a lot of people what weapon would you use during the Zombocalypse, they're gonna say a katana because they all do, and because it's cool looking, and no one ever stops to think that you actually have to stop and sharpen the damn thing. But <laughs> I wanted to give all of my wild cards something unique to use. You know, they all have their specific weapons, and because of the fact that yes, I do have. Uh, the, the combat experience and the sword fighting experience, I decided I was going to go ahead and embrace the cliche and give Ashley her katana and her, her, um, that other thing she has, her tanto, the, the, the shorter one. Um, because I could actually choreograph the fight in my head and I could actually, you know, I, I use my, my, <laughs> my very obliging boyfriend. It's like, honey, can you stand up? Can I see if this would work? <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of that. Um, <laughs> and that, that is why I decided to give her the sword. And also, yes, it looks, it looks very cool on the cover, but I totally cop to the fact that that is an absolute cliche in zombie novels. So no, yeah, you have favorite, though. But see, since you know what you're doing and you know how to write for that kind of thing, yeah, it, that that just adds another layer of realism to it. I, I I like to think it does, and thank you for saying that. I will say though that in the book she does wear more than a sexy little leather vest. Okay, I, I just got. <laughs> I love the covers. I, I think they're great, um, especially like the one for Plague Nation when you've got the, the the Golden Gate Bridge and more zombies in the background. But you know. Dang it! At least okay. But she at least she doesn't have a tramp stamp. Okay, at least she doesn't <laughs> show her from behind with low cut leather pants and a tramp stamp. So I'm I'm very grateful. Well, you for that. still got Plague World. Yeah. It ain't gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I know that you got the experience with the katana, but that's still not my favorite weapon that she used. I, I have to give it to Lil and that pickaxe of hers. <laughs> I just thought there was something really interesting about seeing this little psycho girl go nuts with a pickaxe. I wish you could actually see the real-life Lil. She is based on a, a very, very dear friend of mine, um, as is the, Tony is also based on my, my kind of sort of not-quite-God-son. And if you could see this real-life girl and the thought of her holding a pickaxe, it would I think you'd like it even more. She's just she's so cuddly and sweet. She's just the most adorable thing that ever existed, and she's loving watching herself go psycho in these novels. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Immortalized forever, killing zombies with a pickaxe. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Who could ask for more? Hey, it's a time-honored tradition. <laughs> it is. I'm not going to complain about it. Okay, well, I, I've pretty much tapped the bank on this one because I'm I'm just thinking of cool sword fights now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think I'm actually pretty much tapped out of questions myself other than to ask the uh, inevitable, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, I actually think we've, we've covered pretty much everything. Um, I mean, there's always something else to talk about, but you got to stop sometimes. And do you want to tell our <laughs> listeners um, where they can find you out online, your, your website or Facebook page or anything like that? They can find me at www.danafredsty.com, and they can also find me on Facebook if they just type in Dana Fredsty or Inara LeVay, which is my uh, spicy genre romance author name. 
So, um, yeah, and I'm on Twitter somewhere. I think it's Dottie One. <laughs> Twitter. You can tell I'm a big social media girl. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, like you yeah. say, we got to start somewhere, right? Yep. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay, so next question then. Um, when Plague World comes out, how do you feel about coming back and talking? Oh, absolutely. All righty then. And I, I expect to talk that Jeremy will have read the book again. Right, Jeremy? Yes. <laughs> Definitely. I, I think we're all going get, to get to it by that point. Awesome. Yeah, now, I, I, I do have one question I f- forgot to ask. Are there any plans on these coming out as audiobooks? Um, I don't actually know. That's something I, I need to ask Titan. I hope so. That would be lovely. And I would, heck, I'd love to do the, the uh, voiceover myself yeah. since I do have the background in it. So. That, that would be um, great. Thank you. Could you could you please send a note to Titan that say you should do audiobooks and you really should hire the author to do this because she's the best person for it. I think we could so. absolutely because <laughs> that that would you be know? a lot easier for me because I'm a slow reader but I have a very long commute. <laughs> I listen to a lot of audiobooks. <laughs> well, I would love to make this into an audiobook. I, I think it. I think that it should be. I think that both of them should be. As should Plague World, and that we should all push for this mightily. Well, we're going to be sending the link to this podcast to Titan. So, <laughs> Titan, if you're listening, that's right. <laughs> Include that in the email with the link, Troy. Yeah, <laughs> because I'll tell you what, doing the audiobook version the way I did it, where I just had a coworker of mine read it to me while I was doing work, does not work the same way. It, it just <laughs> no, um, I think it would work much better with someone that knows the characters and can perform. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, Dana, I would like to thank you very much for spending some of your valuable time talking with us tonight. I had a great time. Thank you very much. It was a load of fun for us, too. It was. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. Thank you. I can't tell you just how privileged I am to actually talk with the author of one of the books that I'm reading. <laughs> Aw. Thank so. you. <laughs> you. I promise more gross things for you for the next book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he said, I think thank you. You're imagining all the gross things that could be, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am. I'm sure I she'll come up with something new. from my side with his icon, just cause the, the, the dog with the T-shirt just sort of staring off into the distance. <laughs> with this absolute look of, oh. <laughs> well, you have to know he, he looks like that in real life. Oh, yeah. Right. It, the little ears even flop down. It's kind of funny. Aww. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Thanks for joining us, Dana. All right. All right. Well, that was awesome. That was. That, that was, was a, lot, a of lot of fun. That was a whole lot of fun. And um, I would just like to thank um, Dana again and uh, Tom at Titan. Yes. For arranging that interview with us. That was a, a whole lot of fun. And yeah, I'm actually, you know, if, if they can, if Titan will put this out as an audiobook, I will definitely listen to both of these and the third one when it comes out. Because I, yeah, I, I now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very interesting the way it's written because at first, if you're trying to take this under the guise of this is going to be every other zombie story you read, you're already starting off with the wrong clue on us. This isn't every other zombie story. She actually puts characters in there that you care about and aren't rooting to die every five minutes. And the minute you start thinking that way, they'll kill somebody. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, see, you know, I'm not a huge zombie fan, but every once in a while I get in the mood for them. And if I know this has got a good bit of humor in it as well, that makes well, it the, much more interesting to me. 
Well, the thing of it is, is that in this particular case, you're not rooting for the zombies to actually take them out. Like when we were watching Zombie Apocalypse, it was nothing like that, where, you know, Ving Rhames didn't need his horse. And, uh, you know, you actually wanted people to die in that one, where in this one, you actually want them to live. So, yeah, you're not actually cheering for the zombies in this one. You're cheering for the people. That's a novel concept in the 21st 21st century. I know. That's like the way it should go. I have well, lost the ability to talk. It's, that. it's completely you know opposite to anything they're showing in horror films today. Every kid, you feel like they want to die. This one, you want somebody to actually come out alive. Cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to try and get a hold of this. Which, Python, you'll make it much more easier for me if you make an audiobook and have Dana record it. So. Please, Tom <laughs> Green, with if all my heart and soul. If there's a link on Amazon, you can... I think you can request that there too. Sometimes you can. Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, I'm, I'm definitely putting my my two cents in here as somebody who read the book. Don't get me wrong. I love actually hearing the, her voice now that I can can doing this. But I think it would be absolutely great if she's the one that did the audiobooks for these. She's because, got theatrical experience. Yep, she's got the theatrical experience. She knows those novels in and outwards because she wrote them. Mm -hmm. You can't ask for better. And just for reference, Plague Town does have the request audiobook on Amazon, but Plague Nation does not. It's a start. So I've already requested that Plague Town have an audiobook made. (laughs) All right, so I I think that's it for us tonight, guys. What do you think? Yep, bag it and tag it. All right. Well, until next time, we will talk to you all later. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please visit our home on the web at scififx.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at scififx. And we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash scififx. Like us on Facebook. It's an easy way to be kept up to date with all the latest sci-fi news, and you'll be entered to win a free prize. You can also stream our podcast using Stitcher Smart Radio on any mobile device with an internet connection running on iOS, Android, WebOS, or on BlackBerry smartphones. Follow the Fellowship of the Geeks on Twitter at Fellowship Geeks. Check out Geekdom Nation on the web at geekdomnation.com and follow Geekdom Nation on Twitter at Geekdom Nation.